0: welcome to twinning it the podcast that delves into the nitty-gritty of parenting twins i'm Alison perry author of omg it's twins and mum of preschooler girl twins and i'm jenna good journalist and mum of toddler boy girl twins we know what a challenge it can be to raise twins so join us as we speak to experts and other twin mums to get answers to all of those burning questions today we are talking about all things weaning jenna i know this is a topic that strikes fear into your heart tell me about your weaning journey
1: Oh, God, it was, I just still find it one of the hardest parts of being a twin mama. Um, I don't know why, for some reason, I never really thought past giving them milk. (laughs) I think I just thought I was just going to give them milk forever. (gasps) And then all (laughs) of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden it was like pureeing and you've got to give them pieces of broccoli to nibble on. And uh, yeah, and I ended up buying, oh gosh, about six weaning books.
0: I would actually hazard a guess that at least one of those books is by our guest today. Am I right? Uh,
1: Two of them were,
0: yeah. Two of them, (laughs) yes. (laughs) She's written a lot
1: of books, this lady. (laughs) Because,
0: yeah, when, when we're talking about weaning, there is one person whose name is synonymous with weaning, Annabelle Carmel. Um, With expertise spanning over 30 years, she's a mum of three and she reigns as the UK's number one children's cookery author and world-leading expert on devising delicious, nutritious meals for babies, children and families. But I want to know, what advice does she have about weaning twins? It's a whole different ballgame, isn't it, Jenna? It
1: is, yeah. I mean, for starters, you know, one spoon or two spoons. Exactly.
0: What, what did you do? What did you do? Did you use one spoon or two spoons?
1: Um, I think I did use on, two spoons honest. to begin with. Oh, Jenna. I think you're I just and, 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 and two balls. Uh, two balls. Two balls. We yeah. I had. Oh, did we have two balls or one ball? Yeah, we had two balls, yeah. but one spoon. Well, that makes plenty of sense. And I guess at that stage, I was still kind of trying to be a perfect twin mum, you know, and just didn't want to spread germs between them. And now, like, obviously they eat the same thing, <laughs> thing that they eat off the floor they share it um so yeah there's there's no uh, worry about spreading germs now they both get the germs one way or the other yeah all the
0: germs yeah. all the germs so shall we see what Annabelle has to say about weaning twins hi Annabelle welcome to twinning it how are you doing today
2: very good thank you good always busy I don't think I've I, I think I've been writing books for the last 30 years.
0: It's a long time. I mean, that's, you know, that's an impressive amount of time to be helping the nation's parents with. Well, I think it's,
2: it's particularly interesting because my first book was turned down by every single publisher that I sent it to. And that was over 15 publishers. And now I'm on my 50th book.
1: Wow. Wowzers. It's
0: it's yeah. incredible. Well, we are really looking forward to chatting to you about your amazing book, "Where Does My Food Come From," and also specifically about weaning twins because, uh-huh. as you know, that's what we do. Um, yes. So I've got I've got yeah. a twelve year old and also four year old twins, and I was definitely more relaxed weaning second time around just because I'd done it before, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like most parents probably are second time round, but it was really quite tricky to wean two babies at once when they were both responding to textures and flavours so differently. What advice would you have for twin parents when it comes to introducing solids?
2: I think, first of all, it's nothing to do with you. They're predisposed to being fussy genetically, so they're born that way. That's not to say you can't do anything (laughs) about it, but you can have one child who eats very well, and another child from the second same family who's incredibly fussy. So I had three fussy children, which was the best training for writing a book on how to feed a baby or a toddler, who, despite their very small size, are incredibly stubborn, as you probably have found out. So what I did was I found things that my son Nick enjoyed, like he liked fruit, but he wouldn't eat chicken, so I made up in the complete meal the meal planner these mini chicken and apple balls. So I put the apple in with the chicken, and suddenly, because he had that little bit of a flavour of the apple and the chicken, he ate them. And that kind of from that day on, he ate chicken. But also, it was the size. I put every into a food processor, made it into little tiny balls that he could pick up with his fingers and feed himself. And they get very independent at mm-hmm. a certain age. So that helped as well. And the other thing is, of course, it's kind of counterintuitive, but the more you give attention to not eating, the more fussy and difficult they'll become because they know they're going to get your attention. So I swapped it and I gave him no attention for not eating. I just said, fine, you're not hungry, go off and do what you want. But if he ate something, even infinitesimally small amount of something new, I would praise him and I would go crazy, like, oh my God, you tried it, you know, that's amazing. And I would have a reward chart on the wall and I will put stickers on it every time we try something new, so that helped as well. That's
0: really interesting, and obviously, you know when you're when you're doing that with twins, like you said, genetically, one could be a brilliant eater and one could be a bit fussier um how do you what's the best way to handle that? because do you just let one head off and not eat anything whilst the other one is munching away? you know How do you get that balance?
2: I mean, obviously it's difficult when you have a child who's not eating where the child is eating well, because it can make the child who's eating well not want to eat. In the same Mm, way, it is an issue with twins. So I would remove (laughs) the child who's not eating into another room and just feel the child is eating And then probably feed the other child separately. I know it takes more time. But what you don't want to do is the bad habits of the child is not eating rub off on your good child. Because that will make your your life even more difficult. But it's interesting that once they go to nursery, they often become less fussy because their friend next to them is eating something. Whether it's like, I don't know, a Moroccan lamb casserole. And because his friend's eating it, he'll try it. And it breaks that, I don't like it, but they haven't actually taken the first mouthful. But all the other tricks are of course to disguise things, like kind of blending lots of different vegetables into tomato sauce and pasta, which most children would love to eat. Um, making things like look attractive, not being putting too much on a plate, things that they can easily pick up with their fingers. And also sometimes like they prefer raw vegetables to cooked vegetables and they like things like hummus, which is surprising, it's quite a strong taste. So give them those kind of foods. And we often think, like, they won't like anything that's not bland. And when I wrote my first book, everybody said, oh, babies don't like bland foods. So I gave them bland food. Then I gave them, like, my six-month-old chicken curry. And guess which one they preferred, the chicken curry. So actually, children are much more sophisticated than we may give them credit for. So introduce lots of different flavors. And although my children were fussy, there is... On the whole, this kind of window of opportunity between six months and 12 months, where they eat quite well usually because they haven't become like more mobile. When they get to like 11 months or one year, their rate of growth slows down. So in the first year, they grow more rapidly than any other time in their entire life, try and get lots of flavors into them. And then about 11 months or 12 months, they start to want to get out of their high chair, bottom shuffle, crawl, even try and walk. And eating becomes a distraction to what they really want to do is find something really dangerous to play with. It's going to drive you crazy. So what you need to do really is give them things they can pick up with their fingers. That's where finger foods come into their own and things that they can mm-hmm. feed themselves with because they become fiercely independent very often at that age. But I also find, like, we don't like eating alone. We don't want to eat dinner on our own. But children are kind of you're kind of putting the spoon in their mouth, and you're not eating with them. And eating with them really helps, or having a child who likes to eat with a child, doesn't like to eat can help as well. So just have a snack of your own, or eat something that your child's eating, or bring them up to the Mm -hmm. table and eat with you, even if it's just once or twice a week. They're great mimics. They see you eating. They're more likely to eat. I do. Yeah, I do remember
1: hearing this when I first started the weaning journey with my twins, which was about two years ago now. And I just... My mind was so blown by actually giving them food, trying to feed both of them. That I couldn't even, you know, consider feeding myself as well. <laughs> it just seemed like too much of an ordeal to have that hand there, that hand there and then feeding myself. I think, um, yeah, it just is a bit more tricky with twins because obviously you don't have as many hands yes. free. Um And when I spoke to, um, I'm on like a twin WhatsApp group on my phone and um, I let them know that we were speaking to you today. And I just said, you know, what would you like to know from Annabelle? And they said, oh, you know, obviously we don't have any time and it's, you know, these recipes can sometimes feel quite daunting. Um, We want to give our children healthy food, but it just feels like quite a lot of work to do when a lot of the time it ends up on the floor. Um, so I would just like to know if that, if you could give like two recipes that you think would give us the most, you know, healthy punch, but still quite easy and, and time, time sensitive as well. Well, what first would of all, be?
2: if I make something, I tend to freeze it. So you could make one batch of something. So I do a lot of these like, Mini balls, whether it's salmon, quinoa, and vegetables, chicken, apple, um, mini meatballs with carrot and apple, you stick everything into a food processor. It's super simple. And then you can roll it into balls or little sausage shapes, and you can make 30 of them at a the time. And then you bake them in the oven. Mm. And it's so easy. And I do believe in batch cooking so that you can then just take out as many as you want, defrost them and that's for your child. And I do the same thing with like cottage yep. pie, fish pies. I make them in mini ramekin dishes. So you make one lot of mashed potato and carrot. I always mix it together because carrot isn't one of your five a day. No, sorry, potato isn't but carrot is. And then you make the filling. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought carrot <laughs> that's <was good>. okay. <laughs> You make them in these mini ramekins and then you freeze six of them so you've got something for your child whenever you want it. And then there's like just really simple things that you can make, like a, a quick stir-fry. You could even buy cut-up stir-fried vegetables already um, in a supermarket. Yeah. So there's, I don't think my recipes are time-consuming at all because I know how busy mums are. And also, like, mm. everything I have in my recipes is usually ready available. It's not strange ingredients at all. And it's interesting because my son, who's now 32 years old, he still remembers what he ate when he was, like, four – and he still likes my fish pie from the complete Baymantoda meal platter and my chicken apple balls from the complete Baymantoda meal platter. And I'm still making him these, these meals. And, <laughs> you know, what you feed your children in their early years really establishes their eating habits the rest of their life. You don't realize that. And if you give your child, yeah. like, lots of Cocoa Pops and crisps and things like that, they're not going to magically transform into a healthy eater. If you start them on home-cooked food, which actually isn't that difficult to make, they will carry on eating good quality food, and they'll want to cook for themselves when they're older. And that's what we're going to come to. But my new book, Where where Does My Food Come From? It's all about like getting children more kind of, getting to understand where their food comes from, how milk appears in a bottle or a carton, and where eggs come from, and how does chocolate become chocolate from a cocoa bean, and then experiments to do with these different foods, and then how to cook them. Because I think it's really important that children cook when they're very young. 'cause that will give them a life skill and will help them to be a much healthier eater later on.
1: Yeah, that how young do you think? Oh, really cooking? young.
2: I mean, <laughs> children can okay. cook at the age of three or four. I bet you they're using really okay. complicated computer games that we wouldn't be able to use. Yeah, we don't so let them true. cook. It's true. Yes,
0: yeah. I have really found that actually. I found that getting my eldest involved in cooking, because she has been quite a fussy eater through the years, um, it was a real game changer. Um I for for me Um, I find it quite a stressful experience and I really try to remind myself that it's the process it's not the finished product that's the important thing but what advice would you have for someone who just just finds cooking with kids a bit
2: stressful you know what I think you get like into this. oh it doesn't look like the picture I'm going to help them and do it myself (laughs) <laughs> but I think you want to let them do what they want and use their own imagination. If it doesn't look anything like the picture, so what? It doesn't matter. And even if it doesn't taste that great to begin with, they can make it again. But I got my children when they're like four, six, and seven, because I had three children quite close together, to cook my dinner for me on a Friday. And I would chop things up for them if they were really young. But the rest of it, they would get on with. And they became very good cooks. And they loved being part of the adult world. And when they're cooking... They're actually having a math lesson because they're time, they're timing things, they are measuring things, they are weighing, and it's all about maths. But they don't realize it, and they're having mm-hmm. a great time. And if you are involved, they're bonding with you because they're doing something that they love with you. Yeah. And then they're really proud of what they've made because it was their work that went into it. And they're more likely to eat it. So it's a win-win, to be honest. Yeah. And then eventually, yeah. hopefully, they'll cook for you when they're grown up.
0: Fingers crossed. Oh, that's that's funny. the that's the end goal, isn't it? Um, now, Annabelle, yeah. I've got a question. Oh, but it's a bit of a weird question. But it, it struck me when Jenna was talking about needing more hands to feed twins and feed yourself. Um, when I was reading my twins, I uh, we started off using two spoons, and then I heard a twin mum saying, "Well, they're always putting stuff, you know, toys in their, you know, same toys in their mouths." And my two ended up swapping dummies quite often when they were little, so we ended up just using one spoon. And I've thought about it quite a few times. Sam and thought is that terrible that i had two balls of food but one spoon is that really unhygienic not at
2: all no i actually think that if you bring your child up in some kind of hermetically sealed sterilized world those are the children who are going to have problems (laughs) and the children who are exposed to lots of you know things that aren't necessarily absolutely sterilized are the children that will be okay because when you think about it children especially young children put their hands in their mouth they've been everywhere haven't they And there's no point Mm. sterilizing anything other than milk bottles. We only do that because warm milk is a perfect breeding ground. So spoons are absolutely fine. But the one thing you need to know about is once you've used a spoon and it's gone back in the food, you have to to throw that food away if it's not eaten because the bacteria from the saliva will go into the food and cause bacteria to grow. So that's the one thing you need to know. So if you are going to use a spoon and you're not going to use all the food, put half of the food away, and only put the spoon into the food that you know you're going to throw away. But I really wouldn't worry about contaminating food between two children. It's absolutely fine. I actually worry about children who have been brought up in the COVID era, who haven't been out and about very much, what kind of immunities they have. It's like we now give peanut butter, eggs, everything to children at a young age, six months. In my time, we were told not to give anything to do with peanuts, not peanut butter or anything. And the incidence of peanut allergy just went sky high because actually what you're doing yeah. is you're trying to sensitize your child to that mm. particular food that they might actually have an allergy, you know, potentially develop an allergy to. And the sooner you can do that, the more likely it is they won't actually have that allergy. So it's the opposite. And the interesting thing is it's not dairy that's the commonest commonest food to cause allergies. are actually eggs. And... If you are allergic to, say, scrambled eggs or boiled eggs, a child can often eat a meatball with a bit of egg in it or a biscuit. And actually, by giving them foods with baked egg in, it helps them to grow out of their allergy. So actually, it's a lot to learn about allergies. And actually avoiding that food totally is not the right thing to do. You need to find your your child's tolerance So I'm not saying that a child who is allergic to nuts and has a serious anaphylactic reaction should eat any nuts. Not that. But if a child's allergic to eggs, you may not need to make sure that every single food that contains eggs is eliminated from the diet, because that actually won't help your child necessarily. You may find that they can tolerate things.
1: Should they have a period of abstinence
2: from it? No, you you should find out. What you should do is try a biscuit, try a cake, try a meatball with Mm -hmm. egg in it. And if they can tolerate that, give it to them. Right.
1: Okay, Hmm, interesting, did not know that, (laughs) I would have just, luckily I haven't had that issue, I did have an issue with my daughter though where she was very sensitive to textures to begin with and would vomit basically quite a lot um, in the beginning. Was she ever too
2: fed or anything like that? No. No. No,
1: just a very yeah. sensitive gag reflex. But that obviously made the weaning journey for me very stressful. But, but also the gagging
2: <laughs> reflex and its nature's way of protecting young children is very far forward in the mouth. And when children gag, mm. a lot of people stop giving finger food because they get so concerned and worried and anxious about it. But that is actually protecting their child from swallowing the big piece of food that they don't want to swallow. So they'll get, and spit it out, which is great. Choking is completely different. Choking is when they go silent and they go blue. So understanding the yeah. difference is very important. Also understanding that gagging, let them get on with it. The worst thing you can do is interfere, just leave it. That's a child's way of learning not to swallow lumps. And it's very clever, nature's protecting them.
0: Yeah. So they
2: all gag. Yeah. You and not to worry about gagging.
0: You mentioned um tube feeding. Is there a connection between, say, babies that have been in, you know, special care and sometimes and and their weaning experience.
2: It can be, sometimes, yes. Some they find it more difficult to swallow. And also, babies who are allergic to certain foods and have had bad reactions to certain foods, they cannot enjoy eating because they associate food with pain. There's all these things that you need to discover as to why a child's not eating. But if your child hasn't had any allergies and your child hasn't been fed with a tube, then it's quite natural that a lot of children don't like certain textures. It is normal. I wouldn't worry about it. But what's quite interesting is often they'll eat a finger food, which they have to chew. But if you give them lumpy food in a bowl, they'll reject it. Yes. I found that. Sure. It just shows yeah, you that they, exactly can, they can found. perfectly tolerate yeah. the lumps. They just don't want to. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think when, when it's in like a kind of runny yeah. food, they get a bit more of a surprise. They're not they expecting don't like the lump surprise to be lumps. There. So
2: I would say yeah. put in tiny pasta shapes. So you have overall the same texture. They don't like smooth food the yeah. occasional lump yeah
1: now just going back to chief feeding a lot of twins are born you know underweight or prematurely um another question from my friends was that when they started the weaning journey they were hoping that their child would put on weight but actually some of them lost weight because they weren't having so much milk but they weren't eating that well are there any foods in particular that you would suggest for people who want their children to put on weight yeah
2: so it's interesting like we're all told like weaning start with fruit and vegetables mm. but if you're weaning later Like a lot of people don't start until six months, they need high calorie foods, and fruit and vegetables are not particularly high calorie. So, they need if you're going to give them fruit, give them something like an avocado, which contains more calories, and quickly move on to vegetables with some cheese in it, or choose something like you know, red meat quite quickly from the fruit and veg. Don't go on low-calorie foods for too long. It was much easier when we started weaning at four months and five months. We did the fruit and veg, and they were still having lots of milk. But when you start yeah. weaning and giving them lots of low-calorie foods and they're having less milk, or they should still have like 500 ml of milk a day, it can be that they lose weight. So make sure you give them pretty calorific foods. See, it's very confusing because we're told low-fat, high-fiber, which is the complete opposite. Mm. Babies need high-fat, low-fiber. Because the fibre will deplete their body out of important nutrients like iron. So lots of like high fibre cereals like wheat bricks isn't good for your child. And a child on a vegetarian diet, if they eat lots of lentils and whole grain cereals, they won't get the nutrients they need. So a vegetarian baby should have a lot of eggs and cheese, which are what I call nutrient dense foods. Because they need those calories because their tummy is very small. So they need like yeah. a lot of calories and small amounts of food. So it's important to
0: realise
1: that. Mm, Yeah, so much to think about. That's
2: really (laughs) helpful.
0: Um, There's been quite a lot in the press lately, Annabelle, about the high sugar content of some of the pre-packed baby foods. Um, And I think there are so many time poor parents, but specifically twin parents, you know, we're juggling so much. Mm. So I think a lot of us probably do grab a pouch or... A ready meal um you know from time to time just you know for, for ease yeah um, and it kind of struck fear into my heart when i was reading the headlines because we've always you know done a bit of a mix of both of homemade and pre-packed um i mean what advice do you have for any busy twin parents who who have panicked reading those headlines
2: <laughs> not to panic i mean unfortunately newspapers love sensationalism and want the headline it contains so much sugar more than a coca-cola but what they what they're not saying is it's actually a fruit sugar So if you looked at how much sugar is in a banana, there's a lot of sugar in a banana, but it's not sucrose and it's not honey. It's a different type of sugar and they don't differentiate between that. So it's like fat. I mean, sometimes you can't give child a cheese sandwich because that's high in fat, but who wouldn't give a cheese sandwich to a child because the fat and cheese is giving you also a lot of nutrients. So I would take it with a pinch of salt, to be honest, because fruit And even vegetables like carrots contain sugar, but it's a natural form of sugar. It's very different from added sugar. Where I would draw the line is, you know, these fruit winders, which say 100% fruit. Yes. Sure, it's 100% fruit, but it's in a very sticky form. I always view those
0: as being like sweets. It's basically like giving your kids sweets.
2: It's (laughs) no better than giving like, you know, um, a sweet from a packet of sweets because it's going to stick to the child's teeth and anything sticky like that. It's not good. So I would definitely avoid those. But unfortunately, it also goes for good foods like raisins. You know, raisins are not a good snack. Mm -hmm. They're great at the end of a meal and then let the saliva wash away the sugar, but they stick to the teeth. So those small boxes of raisins your child like eking them out over a long period will also cause tooth decay. So you have to be careful what you give in between meals because it's not the amount of sugar a child has. It's the frequency with which they consume their sugar and how sticky it is that yeah. will cause all the damage to their teeth. And it's such a shame because so many children have tooth decay, which is totally preventable.
0: Yeah, I remember the dentist telling us that, actually. The dentist with my eldest said to us that, um, you know, to, to give her one snack between meals rather than, like you say, maybe having like a little pack of raisins or something that she eats slowly over an hour or an hour and a half. Yeah. And it's, that's the important thing. It's the hit of... Is it it the pH levels in the mouth, I think, that that it affects?
2: Because our saliva washes it away. But if you keep on bringing in sugary, sticky food into your mouth, saliva has no chance, no chance at all. So, yeah, it's good to know that. And it's interesting, as as children, we were given apples to clean our teeth after our school lunch. Well, that was not good because apples apples are acidic and they contain sugar, and that's, that's the wrong thing to do. The best thing, if you don't have a toothbrush, is to eat cheese. Because cheese is alkaline and it helps neutralise the acid. So it's very good for your teeth. That's why the French are very clever and they eat cheese after a meal. They're not stupid. That's
1: such a good tip. I love it.
2: Wow, I never knew that. And in fact, if your child's had oranges, the worst thing you do is then clean their teeth straight away because you're just brushing the acid into their enamel. Right. Better give them a piece of cheese. So, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) my
1: kids won't mind that yeah they'll
2: be quite i I love cheese cheese i still
0: Um, love cheese um with your your amazing book Annabelle, one of the things i really love about it is the number of food facts in the book i was sitting reading with my four-year-olds and i actually learned quite a lot like they were obsessed with finding out (laughs) things like how the fact that there are 25 tomatoes in a bottle of ketchup yeah
2: it's amazing isn't it and five thousand bees to make one pot of honey amazing That's amazing which, wow which is your favorite fact
1: in do you know, the, know my favorite is... fact
2: it's actually about m&ms and soldiers in world war ii they wanted to have chocolate so they invented these candy coated m&ms so they could put them in their pocket and they could eat chocolate without it melting i had Brilliant. no idea
0: no i didn't know that it's so good isn't it's it so clever I think that's Um, what I love about the book is the fact that you've got the great mix of finding out where, you know, where our tomatoes come from, how cheese is made, um, mixed with the recipes that the kids can get involved with and the little activities. And then also they're learning because like kids just love facts. They love it. They're always asking questions.
2: That's right. Uh, There's another fact, which was like, you know how we always say that mice like cheese. They actually don't really like cheese. They much rather have peanut butter or something sweet. I don't know where that came from. It's so
1: interesting. That's funny. Um, So just going back to the snacks situation, because um, as a twin mum, I do tend to use snacks as a way of getting, you know, from one place to another Mm. because having two crazy children, if they're not eating something, then they're probably punching each other or, you know, not doing what I want them to do. Um, So I have occasionally – well, I do give them dried fruit because I thought – that that was okay. But now you've said that. Is it better if they have like kind of maizey, sort of wheat snacky type So I
2: don't really like this. Those are like the snacks. new kind okay. of like the whole snack aisle. is full of yeah. what I call whats sits without the salt and a tiny spray of carrot. Because yeah. you look at like, oh, they've got carrot in them. If you look on the back of the pack, it's mm. like 3% carrot. It's like nothing. So eat a carrot. Like what's wrong with eating a carrot and dip <laughs> it into some hummus? Children like carrot. Give them a carrot. Don't give them a what's it with a tiny bit of carrot on it, and it just gets children to like think that like eventually like crisps are a good food because they've had it when they were little. I don't think there's any place for those crazy snacks, puffed up like. I know they say there's nothing bad in it, but there's nothing good in it either. So, and it just fills them up. Yeah, that that is good to know. I mean,
1: I do give them those broccoli ones probably because they have got a little spray. Just look at how much broccoli it's actually got in them.
2: But there's all sorts of things. You yeah. can make your own mini muffins, which is deli- delicious. <coughs> there's, a, there's actually something in this book that's an amazing snack, um, and children love it. I see if I can find a picture. It's this one, the extra special frittata muffins. Oh, yeah,
0: they so, look amazing. So,
2: so what it is, it's so simple. So basically, you take five eggs. That's if you can get eggs at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> there's a shortage of eggs. <laughs> yeah. 150 <laughs> grams of new potatoes, which you parboil and then dice. Grated cheddar cheese, some spring onion, frozen peas, which are put in there, and cherry tomatoes. You mix it all together. And then you pour it into a muffin tin, um, preferably one of those silicone ones. You bake them in the oven for like 20 minutes, and they come out as like mini frittatas. They're so delicious. I mean, I'd eat that for my lunch. Oh, my God, it's amazing. It's good for breakfast, it's good for snacks, it's good any time. And it's got veggies in it. And, and can uh, you freeze Yes, those? you can. You can freeze them. And it makes, it makes 12, I think. Okay yeah 20 minutes to make it they're amazing Mm. they're delicious they've got all good things in them and like they're so much better than those bars of snacks and they take you literally probably five minutes to get them ready and then just you can do what you like within the oven you take them out and that's it um wow
1: okay you've given us so much to think about today you're obviously so passionate about this subject it's
0: you've inspired us annabelle
2: the book is on amazon it's only three ninety nine at the moment, which is a really good price, and it just teaches children so much about their food, and, and it opens their eyes to what they're eating, and teaches them to cook and get interested in it. I think it's just a fabulous book, and and then there's a there's this place here where what they make, they put a sticker on what they've made, so it's kind of a reward chart once they've made it to encourage so, them oh, to brilliant. cook. Brilliant! I will. I'm
1: yes. I think it's going to be really good for my two because uh, we sort of seem to have seemed to have deviated away from vegetables <laughs> a bit. They like fruit, but um, yeah, it's quite tricky getting them to eat vegetables. So try I the, the cheesy my... carrot
2: stars because they've got loads of carrots in them, but you actually can't see them. You can just see like a star shaped thing, and they'll love it. It's So tasty, all the. Okay, I'm yeah. really going to
1: make it my mission to create loads of snacks. Send me a that photo, like and I'll healthy. put it on my
2: Instagram.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay I will do <laughs> oh dear the pressure okay I'm, I'm gonna do it I am um, well thank you so much Annabelle and I just wanted to finish actually just by seeing if there was one takeaway that twin parents should take away from today's conversation when they start their weaning journey what would that be?
2: like honestly don't worry about everybody else is doing whatever you're doing is probably the right thing because I always think trust your own instincts on everything you know your child better than anyone else And there are times when children want to eat a lot and there are other times when they're not interested in eating. And it might be because they're teething or they're just not feeling very well or they're not in a growth spurt. So don't get too hung up about it. And to be honest, don't make a fuss when they don't eat. Let them go off, let them play. And then they'll realize when they're hungry that they probably should have eaten that. And the next time they're going to be more willing to try it. But I think the trouble (laughs) is we never let children feel hunger. And if you don't let them feel hunger, they'll stick into a pattern of eating just a few things. But we need to expand their repertoire to make sure that they're getting a good diet, a good diet of lots of va- variety in their diet. And it's only going to happen if sometimes they're more hungry. Otherwise, they're going to want their chicken nuggets and their burgers and their pizza, and they're going to stamp their little feet, and they're going to try a you know, hissy fit, and they just won't try anything else. But you have to, you have to make sure that they don't only eat in narrow like very small repertoire foods i think it's very important
0: that's great advice that's really good yeah Yeah. Wow. um annabelle thank you so much for joining us um where does my food come from is available now isn't it
2: on amazon and good bookshops and we'll be in sainsbury's from next year it's a beautiful book
1: fantastic well thank you so much again for your time it's been great chatting to you good luck good luck with feeding them your twins that is
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you annabelle